You're listening to Leading the Way, a podcast series from global advisory firm StoneTurn, where our experts speak with accomplished and approachable business leaders who share their real-world insights on a range of topics, from risk and compliance to investigations, business disputes, and more. Welcome back to Leading the Way, a podcast by StoneTurn. I'm Amelia Drozda, a director with StoneTurn in the UK, and I'm glad to be here again with Michelle Edwards and Cindy Mooring. Thanks, Amelia. In continuing in our conversation about monitorships from Key Trends in Episode 1, today we're going to jump into what's at stake when a monitor comes on board, and that includes global regulatory cooperation. All right, so let's turn now to our second main topic for this conversation, which is after looking at the themes, now talking about the imposition of a monitor and what's really at play. Uh, when that happens. So Michelle, go to you first. You you cited earlier the Stericycle case and you mentioned not only the remedial measures, uh, but the nature, the seriousness, the pervasiveness of the offense as factors that DOJ considered when deciding whether to bring charges and when negotiating the deferred prosecution agreement. But what are some of the other kind of factors at play that you've seen way into the DOJ's decision about imposing a monitor that then sets the tone for the monitor going into the company. What are some of those things? Yeah, you know, I would say trust is a really big concept um, with respect yeah. to the department and negotiating these these settlement agreements. Um, I found it you know really interesting that um, Dag Monaco in October uh, you know, was was vocal about saying that, you know, any resolution with a company uh, involves a significant amount of trust on the part of the government. And the government is trusting essentially when it makes a settlement agreement with a corporation that the company is going to commit itself to improvement, to changing its corporate culture and to self-policing its activities. Um and we've seen, right, we've seen it in the prior DPAs back in 2020, 2021, that trend of self-policing. And, and they trusted those companies would, would do that. Um, but there are times when that trust is called into question or it's limited based on the misconduct that's occurred or potentially, as we talked about in another case, you know, when they're seeing things not occur, like like timely discipline. And so, right. you know, the government then has other options like imposing an independent compliance monitor to then uh, essentially oversee that the company is indeed taking these actions that it needs them to take. Um, so I think that's that's a really big concept. Um you know, second, as we look back on our experiences working on corporate compliance monitorships, uh, culture is a really big concept that the department and, and that companies need to take seriously. It's such a significant factor. If if that is called into question, um, that's that's a theme. I I believe when the department will rely upon a corporate compliance monitor more. And, and, you know, my perspectives on why that is, is, is that it takes a long time to remediate serious misconduct and it takes a long time to change corporate culture, right? That's not a, that is not a quick fix. 
Um, it also requires commitment from the top, uh, through the middle and, and down to the front line. And that's in an organization, uh, the size of Wal- a Walmart, right, Cindy, that that's a tough, that's a tough journey. And, um, yeah. you know, one of the things that monitors are often tasked with is, is assessing senior management's commitment to fixing the compliance program and to ensuring that it's effective and continuing to be effective over time. Uh, so I think that's another area where, you know, the department and other regulars take that into account. Um, and then third is, you know, kind of a theme we've been talking about, you know, whether those remedial actions have really been implemented um, and have they been tested? Are they effective? Will they prevent or detect the misconduct that occurred in the past? And, um, you know, that is a key role of the monitor as well in settlement agreements is, is the monitor is assessing the design and operating effectiveness of those fixes to the compliance program and they're testing those fixes. And so, um, you know, a company really focusing on conducting timely remediation, designing and implementing and testing those those enhancements is, is really important. And I think would make a strong case for them um, in their negotiations and their settlement agreements with the government and may prevent them from having a monitor imposed. Um, you know, further, if a company brings in an independent party to do the testing, and it could be internal audit that's internal to uh, a company's organization. They're just hopefully independent uh, and, and hopefully they report to the board and the audit committee um, or a third party to really test the effectiveness. Uh, that, I think, will go a long way in in proving to the government that that company's taken it seriously. Yeah. So you can really see, I think, from what you just said and those main points about trust, culture, and whether remedial actions have been truly implemented, that the regulators are getting it when it comes to there are different factors at play within a company. There is the cultural, behavioral um, factors, which also impact uh, trust and uh, can be more qualitative, right? And then there's the hard compliance processes, procedures, and controls uh, and whether or not they've been effectively remediated, um, which can lead toward the more quantitative side. But just having one without the other isn't enough. It's, it's, you really do have to have both and it all has to work together. So Amelia, what about in the UK? What's really behind the scenes? What's really at play when monitorships are imposed in the UK? What are you seeing there? Yeah, it's it's very similar to what Michelle just described. So I would definitely say one of the most important considerations in the UK is uh, remedial actions taken by the company. Um, and the specific words that the SFO uses is a genuinely proactive and effective compliance program. So uh, organizations just need to really show that they get it from the get-go, from day one, uh, that, they're, that they're fixing it. Uh, the SFO will only invite an organization to commence DPA negotiations where they're fully cooperating with the investigation. Uh, that means that companies really need to seek counsel as soon as possible to understand the risks involved in in, in uh, cooperating or not cooperating and deciding early on whether they, they wish to do that um, in hope of securing a DPA. 
uh, and a, hopefully a favorable DPA, uh, a company should definitely seek to strengthen its compliance program as soon as possible, uh, as whether uh, a company has reformed and rehabilitated itself is most likely one of the most important cr- considerations uh, when trying to negotiate a DPA. Uh, And it's generally believed that companies who proactively remediate in the UK, uh, that they you know, proactively are seeking to to improve their compliance programs and address the problems that were at the root uh, with the with the root cause of the issues, uh, are more likely to avoid the onerous costs of an independent monitor. So overall, uh, such decisions in the UK are generally assessed on what is fair, reasonable, and proportionate in the circumstances. So uh, a monitor is as I alluded to earlier, is seen as quite a big cost in the UK. And so that will be fair, reasonable and proportionate will definitely be a, a key factor in any decisions in appointment uh, of an ind- independent reviewer. Got it. All right. Well, with all that groundwork laid, let's jump into the key takeaways, pieces of advice uh, that surely you all have seen through acting as monitor, both in the UK and in in the US in the past. So the focus really on remediation, that really seems to be key. Uh, And Michelle, when you were talking earlier that one of the key roles of a monitor in settlement, settlement agreements is to assess and test the effectiveness of a company's remediation efforts, Do you mind sharing with us what some of the key takeaways are that you've seen when you've had to go in and assess and test the effectiveness of a company's remediation efforts? Absolutely. Um, You know, the, the theme we've been talking about is how timely and comprehensive remediation is key, but let's break that down, right? What does that look like? Um, You know, one timely, starting immediately. And when I say immediately, it doesn't mean after the investigation is done, right? It's as you, as you all know, during an investigation, there are a lot of threads being pulled. There are a lot of issues being identified and potentially some informal root cause analysis going on even during the investigation of why did this happen? How did it happen? What broke down? What, what created the, the landscape for this to happen in the first place? That is a perfect time to set up what I would call like a parallel work stream of, of folks that really can start focusing immediately when, when the company is figuring all that out with its investigation team, what went wrong and let, hey, let's start fixing it, right? Um, so, you know, the other piece touches on, you know, something I just mentioned about that root cause analysis, Right. Um, some companies do not do a comprehensive root cause analysis after misconduct has occurred, um, right? And they kind of skip that step, and it's so important, right? Because you can't fix things unless you you figure out what went wrong, what broke down, what caused this, what were the factors that um, were in that landscape to to create this unfortunate incident, and so you're really thinking more robustly about root cause. And it's not just about internal controls that break down. It's also cultural aspects of the root cause analysis, right? And we all know, as as I alluded to before, culture is a big part of the issue with many corporations. And um, the amount of time it takes to change a corporate culture 
is significant. And so, you know, that is really key focusing on culture as part of your root cause analysis. Um, yeah. As well as, you know, thinking about where else across the geographies and businesses this took place or could take place, right? Um, just because it hasn't happened or been detected in one part of the business or or in a certain country doesn't mean that it couldn't happen, right? Um, so using that as your opportunity almost to kind of redo your risk assessment, if you will, right? That, that mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that root cause analysis is so critical to drive systemic and sustainable change within a company. And then to your point, even if the problem maybe only occurred in one one business department or one geography, use that root cause analysis and that moment in time and from that, those lessons learned to make the changes throughout the company so that you don't have the same problem <laughs> pop up in a different department or a different jurisdiction. I mean, to me, that's really what the regulators are looking for and what they want companies to do, right? That's right. And it's just smart, right? Why would you wait for something to potentially happen again, but in a different part of your business, right? Right. Get ahead of right. it, right? Um, you know, the other thing that we do as part of the monitorships is, you know, we're looking across what we call all lines of defense. And I know some companies use that that taxonomy and others don't. But when I say all lines of defense, you know, I'm talking about the front line, the business. Uh, I'm talking mm-hmm. about the second and the third lines of defense, which, you know, comp- we we would put finance, compliance, legal in that second line of defense bucket and an internal mm-hmm. audit in the third line of defense. And so really thinking about where things broke down and where things can be enhanced, you really do have to think about all those those components, right? Because you do rely on all three lines of defense to prevent and detect right. misconduct. So um, both thinking about those from a root cause perspective, but also where we need to make some, you know, some fixes. Um we talked before about discipline and um, it's not just the primary uh, wrongdoers. You got to think about disciplining. It's the secondary wrongdoers. Um, that's important and has been certainly a focus of the department. So talk about that for a minute. When you say primary wrongdoers, I think people can wrap their heads around that. Somebody who sort of purposely and intentionally or uh, does something wrong. But when you say secondary wrongdoer, tell us, tell us what you mean by that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, when somebody raises an issue to you, one of your employees raises an issue to you um, that somebody did something wrong and you hear them and you you don't do anything about it, right? That's, right. that's not good. <laughs> so you are responsible uh, in senior management uh, for helping fix and, and investigate and, and elevate and escalate uh, issues that employees or third parties bring to your attention. And if you turn a blind eye to that and you don't do anything about it, um, or if it's in an area that you are responsible for um, and you do nothing about it, that's that's Correct. equally um, looked upon by regulators as being a part of the problem. Exactly. And getting leaders in a company to understand that, I think, is really key, that they're responsible for the culture they create as well as the culture they can they fail to create um, and having them understand you're accountable for acting on information that is provided to you is key. You know, a few other things that come to mind are, um, you know, monitoring and demonstrating the effectiveness of the remediation by leveraging data and metrics 
And, um, you know, we'll dive a little bit into what that really means here, I think, in a little bit. Um, and then again, testing and auditing the effectiveness of the remediation enhancements and really, again, consider that independent party, whether it's internal audit or an outside party to truly test those, those enhancements and make sure they're working and make sure they were designed appropriately. Yeah. So those are, that's really great. Um, great key takeaways um, from what you've seen when you have had to act as a monitor. But Amelia, let me ask you, have you seen in practice that companies bring in a third party proactively? Uh, like So not in a monitorship situation, but proactively to help them test their remediation efforts in an attempt to avoid getting a monitor? Yeah, great question. It's definitely becoming more and more common for sure. Uh, certainly at Stone Turn, we're seeing a growing number of, of parties reaching out uh, for uh, proactive uh, remediation appointments. For example, for, for the past two years, we've served as the voluntary monitor of a European bank where we advised on the remediation of the bank's global ethics and compliance uh, program uh, after it had a bit of a money laundering incident. So uh, certainly, definitely seeing it happen, uh, but arguably the most well-known instance of an informal voluntary monitor in the UK was in relation to the Rolls-Royce DPA in 2017. So Rolls-Royce proactively uh, retained Lord Gold to review their compliance procedures in 2013 when the SFO actually first began its investigation. So by the time the DPA was then negotiated many years later in 2017, Lord Gold had already produced several reports. Um, he had another on the way. And because of this, Rolls-Royce was then able to agree with the SFO that they would just simply hand over Lord Gold's reports and set out an imp implementation plan uh, on his recommendations. So here we see an advantage uh, of proactively engaging your own remediation consultant early on. And in this case, uh, the company created an opportunity for itself to have more control over the situation. Right, right. Thanks for tuning into this episode also, and please be sure to check out the next one in our mini series. It's going to be all about lessons learned and key takeaways that we have on monitorships. You don't want to miss that one. Thank you for listening to today's Leading the Way episode. For more helpful insights and practical advice, turn to us at stoneturn.com.